The manager of a billion-dollar agricultural investment fund thinks the Australian cattle market is underpriced and the Bureau of Meteorology is to blame. Gary Edwards is the managing director and CEO of AAM, which has investments in nearly every Australian state. I had a wide discussion with Mr Edwards, who's also Deputy Chair of Cattle Australia, about the state of the market, investing in chicken, and why he thinks that farmland three and a half hours from a capital city is worth investing in. Well, look, ultimately... You don't get the luxury of sitting on the sideline and throwing stones unless you've had a crack at helping solve the problem. And the, the opportunity that, that came with Cattle Australia being an organisation that you know, for the first time as industry representation has got seven independently elected directors from different regions was a great opportunity to make a meaningful effort and positive contribution. You know, it's... You're right, we, we do have interests around the place. You know, my family interests and personal interests are here in New South Wales and it's great to, to be involved and be actually doing something constructive uh, in solving some of those problems, I hope. Uh, you're also behind AAM, one of the big agricultural investors, right? Something like a billion dollars invested in, in agricultural companies as well. When, when you're looking at such a big sort of scale in the industry, can you still stand to benefit from having an advocacy body like this? Well, everybody benefits from having an advocacy body like this because ultimately, you know, the things that we're getting to do around addressing biosecurity issues, improving market access, sitting at the table actually engaged in free trade discussions helps everyone. So just because you know, we might have a large portfolio, it doesn't mean that we get to sit on the sideline and do nothing. In, in actual fact, you know, as an organisation, we try and encourage our team and, and obviously it's my responsibility and my role to be more proactive. Um, you know, as a business, we see ourselves investors, as investors in regional and rural Australia. And we'd like to see as many other people come on this journey and, and get more active in, in what is really should be their core interest around their future, which is the advocacy and, you know, the, the pathways to protecting this industry and, and what we do in this great country in the farming area. Is it an industry that needs protecting? It's an industry that has to do a better job of telling its story. Um, it's, it's got nothing to hide, but it, traditionally it's done a very uh, conservative job of engaging with the people, the consumers of the product. We're great at talking to our neighbours and our contemporaries. We're not so great as a collective whole about talking to the people that don't live in our regions. You know, the, the, the main consumers of our product that live in urban parts of Australia or other parts of the world don't necessarily have a great understanding of what we do and how we do it. No one's going to do that for us. People think and, and probably don't understand what a social licence means. A social licence means it's communicating to someone who knows nothing about what you're doing, but they understand that what you do is important to them and others. And that's, you know, that's something that we have to do better as a whole and as an industry. In terms of the, the seasonal conditions, you've, it's been a funny year for the first year of Cattle Australia. You've got lower prices almost since the start of the year and that has continued to some extent throughout the year. Uh, you've got an El Nino declaration and, and producers sort of acting accordingly as well, plus live export uh, difficulties with Indonesia over the year as well. Has, it, is, has that made for a, a difficult first year for Cattle Australia or has it sort of focused the, the organisation's mind on what you need to be lobbying for? Well, it's certainly been an opportunity-rich year for us to get involved in different situations around the place. You know, the reality is every year has its, has its challenges and its opportunities. The, the reality is, I guess this has highlighted why having a strong voice in Cattle Australia and hopefully getting a stronger one is to tackle all those issues that you just mentioned. 
because if we don't do it, nobody else is. And, and, and particularly the fact that most people are confused and they expect MLA to do this. And, you know, unfortunately, MLA has a tremendous job that they do in marketing and research, but they don't do anything in, you know, policy uh, or legislation or advocacy because they're specifically excluded from doing that. So producers out there do need to understand that there's, uh, there's a big need and a big gap to be filled here. You, do you think Cattle Australia is the best vehicle to fill that gap? Well, Cattle Australia is the only legislated vehicle that has the opportunity to do it. So it's our job to make it the best vehicle. Uh, and we're doing the best that we can to improve the engagement around the regions, like this event here in Albury and like a number of our board meetings and different functions we'll do throughout 2024, you'll see Cattle Australia is uh, less based in Canberra and more based with where or engaging with where the levies are paid or the cattle are grown, I should say, where the levies are paid from. Put your other hat on now. AAM, we alluded to earlier, big agricultural company, you're spread far and wide. For our audience, can, can you explain sort of what it is and, and what you do? Because we're talking a wide span of Australia here, aren't we? Yeah, so in my part-time job as a managing director and CEO <laughs> of uh, AAM, we, we run a portfolio that, as you mentioned, about a billion dollars in assets. And those assets are, are cattle properties, uh, the sheep properties, uh, cropping and mixed farming, um, we grow quite a few chickens and we also have a, an integrated portfolio with uh, sustainable softwood timber processing. So the basis of what AAM does is that it's relatively unique in that 100% of the investment we've made has come from Australian investors. There's not a single uh, dollar uh, that's come from foreign investment and that's, you know, we're, we're very pro-investment uh, of all kinds, I've got to say, but it's just unique to be able to harness the positive enthusiasm that people have in investing in our regions if you give them the opportunity. So our approach is quite simple. Uh, we invest across diversified commodity supply chains and a, a, across diversified regions to manage our risk. So if it's uh, raining in one location and not in another, that's not the end of the world. Uh, it just means that there's uh, an active opportunity here to facilitate what we need to do to participate in those supply chains. So how spread are you when you talk about being spread across? What, what states are we talking about here? Oh, so we've got 32 individual asset locations um, that is you know, essentially from the NTWA border uh, throughout the NT, western Queensland, um, you know, New South Wales, northern, central, southern uh, and through into South Australia and, and probably likely that we'll be in a couple of other states um, uh, here shortly. But you know, we are truly, as I mentioned, a, a business that focuses on what we do in regional and rural areas. When we look at falling cattle prices in El Nino, uh, is a company as big as yours still affected by that? Well, everyone's affected. Um, I guess the, the challenge is I'd like to think that we're a little more patient than what's been demonstrated in the market. I think my personal opinion is that there's been a chronic overreaction to the Bureau announcing El Nino because since they've announced it, it's done nothing but sporadically rain. And the challenge is that there was no other global indicators that were requiring our market to, you know, a sell-off that required our market to be suppressed. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So everyone is always impacted, um, but I'd like to think that we're taking a longer-term view and I'd like to encourage everyone to take a longer-term view because uh, that's how we get more sustainable uh, pricing you know, for producers right across the country. Do you see through the eyes of producers and how they reacted to an El Nino forecast given, I suppose, what has happened to them in previous droughts? Can you see why it happened the way it did rather than, you know, wh whether you, you worry if it was an overreaction or not? 
Well, I think firstly, it, it comes down to the fact that uh, even the Bureau themselves, I think, potentially go earlier and stronger in those announcements than they might have done in the past, which may potentially force people or encourage people to make more significant and dramatic decisions earlier than what they would make. So when you combine those two situations, and there's obviously reasons why you know, the department's caught a lot of flack of being able to not forecast when it was going to rain for two or three years, which is a pretty difficult situation, and, and obviously people are taking a conservative situation about how they're managing their grass and, and what their cattle herds are. You know, ultimately, there's a lot of information out there, and the challenge is for everyone to patiently distill and work through that situation. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's anyone's right, whether they buy or sell. And there's just as many people had opportunities that were buying when other people were selling. So it's a dynamic industry and it's a really you know, interesting... We're confronted with so much information and data and how we process that is a challenge for everyone. So you sound quite confident that the cycle in, in even beef pricing will turn soon? There's no global indicator that supports our beef prices being suppressed at the levels that they are at this point in time. So I would be highly surprised if there's not a positive movement here over the next uh, two to six months that's more reflective of the uh, weather conditions that we're experiencing and also the demand for our products globally. We're seeing the American market has exceptionally high prices and their supply volume into exports is declining rapidly. In fact, the importation of beef into the United States is dramatically increasing. And Australia is the third largest contributor to that. So there's many, many things that should have a positive indication over the next six months as to where prices would hopefully head. You also recently invested in chicken properties in in Queensland as well. Is it important for a business like yours to to broaden what protein you're you're producing? And is that easy to do if your knowledge is in cattle, but you move to something like chicken? We're we're very fortunate as a business to have some specialist people that focus uh, in the poultry production sector. And I guess the reason why we've diversified our investments um, from beef being the largest, we're also very large producers of lamb. We produce about 75,000 prime lambs a year. Uh, And, you know, now about uh, 23 or 24 million chickens a year. Um, But chicken in the domestic situation where we've seen high beef prices, the consumption rates of chicken increase dramatically. Uh, And as a company we need to be able to manage our risks around we're along in if you like animal protein consumption by humans and you know we look to have an exposure as a business across multiple uh, species and protein certainly our largest exposure remains in beef cattle and we think there's a great opportunity into the future because our investment strategy is really around 10-year uh, time frames and every year we look and, and reassess where we want to go and where we, we expect that to be. But, uh, you know, to be truly diversified, which is what our business aims to be, we have to have an exposure across different commodities. Given we've, we've talked to you about how you feel about cattle prices, and I imagine another big part of your business is how you feel about agricultural land prices, right? No, you've got farms still for sale around forms in New South Wales, but it would be a big part of of your business is identifying where you can make money in terms of investing in in farmland. It's come through a boom period over the last few years. How are you feeling about the the value of Australian ag land right now? Well, look, uh, as a company, we look again in a long-term cycles. You know, what's the 10 or 20 year trend? You can afford to have patience. Well, well, I'd like to think that. But (laughs) 
Openly, I guess what we're looking at is what land prices are like around the world. You know, we're in a broadly inflationary environment and food is one of the number one correlations to inflation. If you're in the food market, traditionally you're benefiting from inflation. And, you know, whilst they might pause for a while in the long term, we do expect prices to increase um, because as a developed world, our agricultural land prices are still relatively low. Um, you know, there is a bit of a difference, though, and I guess what we might consider productive land that, you know, is three or four hours away from urban areas, um, and the pricing of that is very different to land that's priced closer to the major urban locations because there's so much land that's used for agriculture traditionally that is now owned by people that live in our major urban areas and, you know, they travel to them and maybe work from home now or, you know, they might visit on their weekends... The, the access to, to land and the people that are managing and maintaining that has changed dramatically over the last 20 or 30 years. So it's very difficult when you're correlating land prices. You know, my, my reference is always the larger and, I guess, more remote locations. Uh, it's difficult to have more stability when you've got a lifestyle influence on your land pricing. Does that make it hard for you when you're running it as a business? Well, it just means as to where we look to invest because... There's very few locations within our business that we would tend to look to invest within sort of three hours drive of a major urban city. So that's how far the influence goes, three hours from a major city, you see a lifestyle influence influence on ag prices? Well, that's our perspective as a business. Um, and I, I guess to some extent we're seeing that move out to about three and a half hours now. But really that comes down to what's the length of time that someone's prepared to spend driving on a Friday afternoon to go and have a few days out in the countryside to get out of the cities. And that's a tremendous opportunity in fact, that everyone's doing that on how we engage with those people that go back to those urban locations about what happens in regional and rural Australia. It's just something that we probably haven't looked at as a way of engagement. Gary Edwards, it's been fascinating to have a look at your business, but also fascinating to see how this feeds into something like Cattle Australia as well and why someone like you would want to be involved. Thanks very much for having a chat to us on The Country. Thank you very much.